So what, what do we do? What do we do when, when we have messy sin in our life? I heard a quote this week, and I, and I, think, that it's, uh, I think it's so true. It's, it says this. It says, because the consequences of sin are often delayed, the power of sin is often denied. Think about that for a second, right? Just because we don't immediately feel the consequences of our sin, right? When we do something that, that, that breaks the heart of God, because we don't immediately feel the results sometimes. And sometimes God, in his, in his, great, in his graciousness, um, sometimes God just allows that to happen for a season in our life. But a lot of times we allow that to, to make us deny the power of sin. We just think that sin's not a big deal. It's just kind of this thing. We just kind of throw it in, in the hat, you know. We're just like, oh, man, we're, we're sinful people, right? We mess up. We make a mistake. No big deal, right? What I want us to understand is it is a big deal, and it's messy, and it, it always costs us something. Yeah, we may not feel it in that moment, like that moment that we caused that sin. We may not feel it then, but at some point in our life, it gets <clears throat> messy, and we're going to feel it. So again, just because the consequences of sin are delayed, that doesn't mean that the power of sin can be denied. I want us to think about that for a minute. So as you think about this, um, the messiness of sin um, and, and the weight of sin, it asks a question, so what happens? What, what should our response be when there's sin in our life? right? How do we then navigate through life realizing that we're going to sin? What does that look like? And I feel like Ezra chapter 9 and specifically 10 lays out a beautiful picture of how we deal with when we do have sin in our life. Because I can promise you that we're all going to deal with it, right? Probably before the end of the day, we're going to all deal with sin in our life at some point, right? There's going to be things that come in our life. And so how do we deal with that? And I think that's what, what Ezra chapter 10 speaks to. And so uh, specifically this morning, um, I really want us to kind of laser in on Ezra chapter 10 verse 11. Ezra chapter 10, verse 11. And I think in this, we're going to see a picture of what does it look like to, to move forward. When there's sin in our life, what does it look like to move past that, to move forward from that sin in our life? And so you guys are already familiar with the context of this. The people have intermarried, and so now Ezra is going to speak to them about this process of dealing with the sin in their life. And so verse 11 just says this. It says, Now then, make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the foreign wives. If you guys will, let's, uh, let's just pray one more time um, that God would just guide our hearts as we, as we dive into this one verse this morning. So Father, thank you again for this time. God, I pray you go with us as we just dive into your word. God, I pray this wouldn't just be uh, a nice message to hear on a Sunday morning. Uh, God, but this would be transformative in our lives. It would be something we would take to heart, God, as we, as we read, Father, what you are saying through Ezra about the people of Israel, God, that we would read ourselves in the midst of that. God, what is that sin that's in our life? What is that that thing in our life that has got our heart right now, that has captured our heart, that is pulling us away from you. God, help us to see that. God, and then help us to respond in, in a courageous way as we see Ezra did, God, making a tough choice, God, to confess and to repent and to ultimately separate from the sin, uh, God, that's in our lives. God, 
Holy Spirit, teach us, lead us. God, we need you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So going forward, it's going to require confession, repentance, and separation. If we ultimately want to move past the sin that we have in our lives, that's what it's going to take, and that's what Ezra lays out here. And so first he talks about confession, right? He, he, he stood, and he says that we have broken faith with God. Now then we must make a confession to God. And this word confession, it's, it's a really interesting word because in a lot of places— it's translated confession, but then in other places, the same word is also, um, it's also rendered for the word praise, for the word praise. And you might think, well, that sounds kind of weird, right? Confession, praise, they don't seem like they're the same. Um, but, but when you think about praise, it's the idea of a sacrifice of praise, a praise rendered by acknowledging and abandoning sin, because that's praise to God. That's worship to God is that when we confess those sins in our life. Right, and so and so we we see this um, and we see this need and this word literally means um, when, when it's translated literally it means to cast or to throw down. Right, to cast or to throw down, and so and so when we think about confessing, we're throwing down those things. Right, we're throwing them out to God. Uh, we're making a confession to God. <coughs> Ezra gives us a beautiful picture of this. We already read this verse, but look at Ezra chapter ten verse one. Look at how Ezra does this. It says, while Ezra prayed and made confession, but look at his heart how he was doing that, weeping and casting himself down before the house of the God, before the house of God, right? This isn't just a, hey, God, I'm sorry. That's what I do sometimes. You ever, you ever give God the light version of your confession of sin? Like I do sometimes, right? Well, God, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm praying and I'm just like, yeah, God, uh, so forgive me of this and this and this and this and this. And I just kind of move through my list of things that I've done that day without ever taking and internalizing, right? When was the last time that we weeped and then we were heartbroken before God because of our sin as we lifted that up to him, as we acknowledged that to him? The, the, the writer of Psalms in, in Psalm 32 verse 5 says this. Oh, thanks. There you go. That was, that's a lot better. Psalm 32 verse 5, he says this. I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Right? There is a place in our lives to confess to God. And you may ask the question, what does that look like? Right? What, is, what does this confession of sin look like? And I think we need to understand here is that there's, there's two types of confession that we hear about in, in Scripture. Um, there's what you would call positional confession. And that is in that moment when you confess your sins before a righteous and holy God. As a sinner, you confess your sins to God, and God once and for all forgave you of those sins. That is positional. Your position changed from sinner to son to saint, whatever you want to call it, right? That was a one-time positional um, confession of sin in your life, right? It's Romans chapter 10. It talks about if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, right, that, 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 that God will save us. That is the confession. That is the, the, the moment, that one moment that we confess sin. But then there's also this relational confession that happens in our life too. And this is, this is in the process of what we call sanctification, that process of growing more and more like Jesus in our life. And so, so the goal is, is, you know, you have that moment where you confess your sin and you turn it all over in Christ and the blood of Jesus, you're saved, right? And there's that moment. 
But then there's also the rest of your life where you're trying to grow more and more in the image of Christ. And throughout this process in your life, you're going to have moments where sin's still going to come, right? Because we live in a broken world, because, there's still, because we still have fleshly bodies and there's things, we're still going to have sin in our lives. And so there becomes these moments that we have to confess to our loving Father. Some have even called this a, a familial forgiveness or familial confession. Uh, and it's like this idea. It's like, I have three boys. Um, and my boys are crazy, and they're wonderful, and they're great. And, like, just to be honest, I probably shouldn't put this out on the Internet, but it's going to be there. Like, there's days that I feel like running them up a flagpole some days, right? Like, they just, <laughs> like, get at me at the end of the day. Now, my girls don't because they're sweet, and they say, Daddy, and then I'm all, like, you know, butter. But the boys, like, sometimes I'm just like, dude, what are y'all thinking, right? But let me put that in the context of my boys, right? There are moments that my boys do something against me that I don't like. You know, there's moments. And in those moments when they do those things, righteously as their father, I get upset that they're not listening to what I told them to do. Any of you that have had kids know exactly what I'm talking about in a situation. Right? And because of what they've done, it is broken fellowship. Our relationship is not the same as it was because they disobeyed, because they didn't do something that I'd asked them to do that they knew they should be doing. And so there's a, there's a tiff in our relationship, right? There's, there's something that's not, our fellowship is not the same. But are they still my sons? Absolutely. Would I do anything in the world for them in the moment of, of them breaking my heart sometimes? Would I still do anything for them? Absolutely. Right? I would lay my, heart down, my life down in a heartbeat for them. Um, but our relationship... The relationship has, there's a hindrance in there. And it's the same picture with God. You know, when, when, when we allow sin to come in our life and we don't confess that to God, there's a tiff in that relationship. That, that, that flow between us and God is somehow interrupted somewhat, that fellowship between us and God. And God still looks down on us and he loves us because he sees us covered in the blood of Jesus and we still have a relationship and that position never changes. But that fellowship, if you ever feel like there's been like a, a block between you and God, Right? There's just some, something there. A lot of times that's because there's sin in our life, unconfessed sin in our life that we haven't confessed. And so when we confess that in this relational type of sin, when we admit to that, when we tell our father, we're sorry, dad, like I'm sorry that I messed up and did that thing again. Like I know I'm a knucklehead and, and, and I know that you've told me not to do it, but I did it again and I'm sorry. Right? It doesn't somehow God doesn't say, okay, now I'm going to elevate you to a special place. But that, that fellowship has been restored. Right? That place where me and dad are good. Right? Me and dad are good. That's, that's what happens. And so this, that's, that's the idea of what this confession is in the life of a believer. And so you say, well, well why do we need to confess? God already knows it. Right? That's, why should we confess? God already he knows everything. Well, Psalm 51 verse 4 says this. It says, Against you I have sinned, and I have done evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. The reason that we confess is because we have, we have made a transgression. We have done something against a righteous, holy God. That's why we confess. Not, not because God doesn't know, but because he's righteous and he deserves our confession. He deserves that. As our Father, He wants to hear from us. He wants to know what's happening in our life. We are broken, sinful, wretched people. And we have a loving, gracious, heavenly Father who loves us and gives us a way to, to have a relationship with Him. 
but part of that way is that we confess when we miss the mark that he set for us. And so you may say, well, why is confession important then? Right? Why is it important? And I think there are, there are three areas that, that, that confession, if we look throughout Scripture, that confession um, does in the life of the believer. One is that it leads to forgiveness, right? As we talked about, this positional forgiveness. Um, and, and in John chapter, uh, John chapter, or 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness, right? So there's that, that, that idea of, of forgiveness, but confession also frees us from the fear, right? It frees us from the fear. And, and, and where I'm getting this from is if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, right? If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, there's this moment after Adam and Eve, right? Our great-great-great-great-great-grandparents who, who, who first transgressed, who first sinned against God, right? There's this moment after they have sinned. And look what it says. It says, And they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, what does it say they did? They hid themselves from the presence of God. <laughs> and I think we do the same thing in our lives. When we allow sin to take root in our lives, what do we do towards God? We hide ourselves. We don't spend time in his word. We don't spend time praying to God. Right? Why? Because of fear. Because we ultimately, in our hearts, we know that that sin shouldn't be there, that it's junk in our life. But yet we distance ourselves from, our, from the presence of God. We allow fear of that sin, of, of what that may mean, to, to put distance between us and God. And so when we confess those sins, and God forgives us and restores that relationship, it takes away that fear from sin. And then ultimately, it leads us to freedom. It leads us to freedom. We have freedom from that. And in Luke chapter 11... Um, as Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, right? Look, look what he says. He says, and when you pray, say this, hallowed Father, be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation, right? There should come a freedom from from regularly asking God to forgive us of our sins. Jesus set this up as a model. If we want to live as followers of him and walk in the freedom of the gospel of Jesus, forgiveness needs to be a part, confessing that sin, that God would forgive us of the sin in our life. And so it'll lead us to that place of freedom. And so confession, that's the first step in moving forward out of <coughs> sin. But that's not the only place. Right, and, and unfortunately, I, I think that in our culture, as as Christians, as believers, a lot of times we like to stay there. We just be like, God, yeah, man, I'm, I messed up. I'm sorry, right? But we see the next step in that is repentance, and they're tied together. But repentance takes it a step further. In verse, uh, in back in, in Ezra chapter ten, verse eleven, he says, "Make the confession of the God to." Make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will, right? Do his will. And that's the idea of repentance. Repentance is literally the idea of turning the opposite direction, right? It's one thing to confess your sins to God. 
It's another thing to turn in the opposite direction and start to pursue after him and, and leave behind that sin that you were once kind of entangled to. And so we're called to repent of our sins. Um, one of the places I've found in Scripture to be so mind-blowing in the last few years, um, and I want to kind of set the frame for this. So, so Jesus, right, as Christians, Jesus is the one that we always look to as our example, right? He's the one that we put 100% stock in. And so when Jesus says something or Jesus does something, it's very important, and we should take note of that. And I think it's, it's very significant when we look at the life of Jesus, some of the things that he did. And one of those that I think has just opened my eyes over the last few years is this. So we, in the story of Jesus, we have that moment, right, when he enters into public ministry. The first thing that happens before he, he starts on his mission to change the world, he gets baptized, he goes out into the wilderness. And then right as soon as he comes out of the wilderness, um, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, we get this passage. And in, in this one little phrase that he says, and I think for a lot of us, we skip over this when we read this. But I think it's so significant when we think about this. In verse 17, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right? And for so many years I've read over that and just kind of skipped on to the next thing and didn't realize that Jesus came bringing a gospel of repentance. Right? To come to Jesus, the first step in coming to Jesus is to turn from those sins. To turn away to make, a, to make a shift in our life. And I think that's where, unfortunately, a lot of times in the, in the church, maybe, that we've got that wrong is we said, hey, all you got to do is just say a prayer, right? Just say a prayer one time and you're good. And so now we have generations of people that have grown up in the church that have, have said a prayer one time and thought they were good and their lives have never been changed. They still look exactly the same as they did before they met Christ. And if, if what Jesus is saying here is true, we need to take stock in that. If this is significant, if this is the first thing that he says is to repent for the kingdom of his hand, we need to realize that, that it's not enough for us just to say, I'm sorry to God, but we need to have some, some life change in our life as well. We need to change some things in our life. Our lives should be different, and they should change. Charles Spurgeon once said this. He said, repentance is the discovery of the evil of sin, a mourning that we have committed it, and a, re and a resolution to forsake it. It is, in fact, a change of mind of a very deep and practical character, which makes the man love what he once hated and hate what he once loved. And I think that's so true in our lives. Like, like, how many times in my life have I said, God, I'm sorry for doing this, and then I go to sleep and I wake up the next day and I do the exact same thing over? That's not turning from my sin. That's not doing an, an about face. That, that word repent, literally, it's, it's a military term that really means to do an about face. And you're going the opposite direction than, than the one you were just going beforehand. So when I wake up in the mornings and I, and I do that, and I, and I realize, right, I realize that there's incredible grace here, right? Because of God and his love, there's incredible grace for those times that I mess up. But when I look at my life and I just say, God, I'm sorry, but that I don't change anything in my life, it doesn't really sink in. Um, there was a movie that came out, and I don't know how long ago this movie came out. Um, it's been it's been several years back, but there was a movie that came out called The Blind Side. Um, you guys familiar with that movie? Um, and um, and it so it it's it's the story of, of Michael Orr. Um, 
professional football player. It's a story when he was when he was um, when he was younger, when he was in high school, he was kind of his mom was a was a drug addict, and so he kind of took care of himself. And this family kind of ran into him, <clears throat> and they and they found him, um, and they and they adopted him into their family. And it's this this really wonderful story. And um, <clears throat> as uh, and one of the people that's in that is, is Sandra Bullock. She's one of the actresses. She plays the the one of the main roles in there. And uh, I, want, I want to show you guys a clip of the film that she said, this was the most significant moment for me in this entire story was, was in this clip right here. So I want, I want you guys to watch this. Sandra Bullock says in an interview, she said the most significant moment for her in that moment, in that whole entire movie, casting that whole, the whole movie, was that moment when she said, turn the car around. She said there was something about in that moment, she was able to identify with, with the lady, this is based on a, a true story, that she's able to identify with this lady, that that was the game changer. You know, they could have kept going in the same direction they were going and going home and had a perfectly fine night and all this sort of stuff, but it was in the moment of turning around and going the other direction that changed everything for them. And I think, I think a lot of times we don't experience the freedom and the things we want to in Christ because we don't ever turn from our sins, right? We acknowledge them, we say that we're sinners, but yet we don't turn and pursue Christ. We never turn and pursue after him. We turn away from the evil, some things sometimes, but we never turn and pursue toward Christ. And that's a part of this, is that as we repent, that we turn and we focus and we pursue Christ. In, uh, in Ezekiel chapter 14, he talks about what repentance looks like as well. And he says this, therefore, says, uh, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord the God, repent and turn from your idols. Turn away uh, your face from all of the abominations. For anyone of the house of Israel or the strangers who sojourn in Israel who separates himself from me, taking his idol into his heart and putting the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and yet comes to a prophet to consult me through him, I, the Lord, will answer him myself, and I will set my face against that man, and I will make a sign and a byword, and cut him off from the midst of the people. And you shall know that I am the Lord. God has said if we put other things in our heart, right, and we don't turn away from those things, that God's, God's part is not with them, just like we, we see here in, in Ezekiel. That, that was the problem here in, in Ezra, was that they, they had turned to these other idols. That was the problem, is that they had turned their heart, and they weren't willing to, to put them out and to separate themselves from that, but they kept them in their life. So here's what I want us to do, okay? We're going to take a couple of minutes. Um, you know, one of the, the things that's really important to us is to not just sit in here, but also to discuss this and to, to have that within community. So here's a question. I want you guys to take a couple of minutes and just um, turn around to a few people around you. And I want you to discuss this question. What is the hardest part of doing God's will, of doing the things that God has told, us, told you to do? What is the hardest? What makes that so hard? Um, when, when God tells us um, to, to, to do things and, and God has laid out in his word how we should live, what is the hardest part about actually living that out on a very practical level, um, day to day? What, what, are, what, what are those challenges that come with living out what God has called us to do? Okay, So you guys take a couple of minutes and discuss that, and then we'll meet back together, and we're going to talk about then finally how do we separate ourselves from that sin and those things. Okay? Well, guys... Um, Hopefully you had a few minutes to kind of talk about that a little bit in your group. Um, and, and one of the things that came out in our discussion back in our group that I feel like is important for us to, to realize that 
you know, a lot of times we can, in a lot of ways, sometimes our, our actions um, sometimes can be easy to change. And so if there's, if there's a certain thing in our life, there's a sin or something in our life, sometimes we can just kind of white knuckle that thing, you know, and we can just kind of cut that off or whatever. But if we ultimately want to see lasting change in our life, and we ultimately want, our heart has to change. And I think that's the hard work of repentance. It's not just stopping doing something, but it's about changing my heart where I no longer desire those things. Right? And, if, and, and we know, for those of us that have followed Jesus and we've seen the sweetness, like when we follow him and we desire to follow after him and to know him more, and like that's all, we can't get enough of Jesus in our life. Like when, we, when, when we're doing that, those actions start to kind of just fall in line, right? It's like the more, the closer we walk with Jesus, right, the more and more of those actions in our lives that we want to see change just kind of change by being around him, right? And I, I think that's where it's at. I think that's the heart of repentance. It's not a call of just do better, do more, fix this, cut that off, right? But I think it's a change your heart, change the direction of your heart and to pursue him. And when we do that, I think the actions will fall in step. And so we confess our sins to God. We repent. We change our hearts. We we change the direction of the things that we're going after. And then the last step of this, I think, as we see laid out, is that we need to separate ourselves from that sin, from those things. Um, We need to separate, put some space between us, some separation. And Ezra says it this way. He says, um, in verse 11, he says simply at the end of that, he says, separate yourselves from the people of the land, right? Don't be around it. Be smart. If you no longer want to be in that sin, put separation between you and that. Separate. Uh, this isn't the first place that Ezra has said that. Um, in fact, in, in chapter 6, um, before, they had, before they had the Passover together, um, they, they had to separate themselves from the uncleanliness of the people of the land. Right? There was this separation that was called to do. It's, it's, it's getting yourself out of that situation. And, and a lot of times we refer to this as boundaries. You guys are probably familiar with that word. But as a believer, like if I'm trying to follow after Jesus and, and, and yet I keep continuing to put myself in that place that I know I keep going to sin, like that's just that's foolishness. That's the Bible saying that, not me. Right? It's foolishness if we continue to put ourselves back in those same sinful situations that we keep getting pulled into and dragged into. Maybe that's a relationship, right? Like we see here. But maybe it's a place. Maybe it's something that we do in that place that we end up, we know when we end up going back to that place or that thing that we end up getting dragged back into it over and over and over and over again. Maybe it's, maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's, like I said, maybe it's a relationship or a friendship or a group of people. We need to set up some boundaries, right? If we want to turn and pursue Jesus, right? We turn and start to pursue him, but yet let's not go back to that mess that got us there in the first place. And that's kind of what we saw is, they, is that the people of God here, they continue to go back to these people of the land. They continue to connect with them. And I know what a lot of people say is they say, well, boundaries, man, those are just, they're so restrictive, right? There's no freedom. I can't have freedom because there's boundaries. What I've come to learn in life is that true freedom is lived out in, in the context of boundaries, Amen. right? True, true freedom. It's not free to be addicted or to be stuck in a situation that you can't get yourself out of or keep returning. The Bible says it's like, it's like, it's like a dog returning to its vomit, right? That's, that's not freedom. It gives the picture from the outside of freedom, right? Oh, it looks so glamorous when we see our friends on Facebook going out and doing that thing or in that place or whatever. That may look for a moment, 
But that's not true freedom, right? That's captivity. What the Bible calls us to is, is freedom. I once heard this, uh, there was this study that some um, psychologists did, and, and it was a study on, with kids, and they went to uh, two schoolyards and the, to conduct this study. And one of the schoolyards um, was just a regular playground, and there was no fence set up or anything. And, and so what they, what they noticed and they observed in this playground was that all the kids stayed right to the center of the playground. They stayed right in the middle. They stayed kind of close right here in the playground, and they didn't really explore or go out, even though they had tons of space to go out and explore. Well, then they also observed kids at another playground in which they had a fence put up around there. And as they, they thought, they, they, would, they thought that the fence would be more restrictive. But what they realized was within the boundary of the fence, the kids were free to explore, to go out. They would go out to the edge of the fence. They would go out, and they had a great time. And they weren't worried because there was a boundary set up around for them. And I think that's, what, that's how God has it set up in our lives, right? That God wants us to set up these boundaries in our life, these places and these things that we put up guards in our life. And within that boundary that God has us to set up, right, we can explore and we can have the freedom of Christ and we can live our lives and we can enjoy and we can be free because we don't have to worry what's on the outside of that because we have these boundaries set up in our life that we're separating ourselves from that sin. Um, there's two authors, uh, Cloud and Townsend, they wrote a book called Boundaries. And in that book, they say this. They say, boundaries hurt, but they never do harm, Right? Sometimes it may hurt in the moment. If you have to cut off a relationship, that may hurt in the moment. If you get excluded from a certain group of friends because you are not going to do what they're doing, that may hurt in the moment. But ultimately, it's not going to lead to harm. right? When we don't have boundaries, that's what ends up leading to harm in our life. That ends up putting us in places that we never wanted to go. You talk to anybody, just about anybody who's in jail, um, who've been arrested for things, and almost all of them will tell you, I never thought my life would end up here, right? I never thought, but well, well, tell me how it happened. Well, you see, I started hanging out with these people, and then I started doing what they were doing. And before I know it, I was in this place that I, because I didn't have any boundaries set up in my life. And so we need to separate ourselves, right, from that. We need to set up boundaries. And so, so that says, well, what kind of boundaries do we need to set up? And I think the Bible tells us that there are different boundaries we need to set up in our lives, one of those areas is, is around the idea of doctrine, what we believe about the Word of God. There's a boundary. There's a lot of things that are taught in our world today. There are places and people that will teach you that you can't trust the Word of God. It's not reliable. It's not true. There's errors in there. You can't believe. You can't, you can't put stock. You can't really believe that a fish ate a person. Like That's crazy. Nobody believes that. God create What? Right? That's a boundary. That we have to put around our doctrine and what we're going to believe that the word of God is the word of God. Notice in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul's warning to Timothy as he is in this church. What does Paul tell him? He says, have nothing to do with irrelevant or silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, right? You need to put up a boundary from, from these things that you hear. We, there's a lot of talk in our world today. And there's a lot of things that are said that kind of smell or have the, the, the sound of God to them. But when you get to the core of what they're teaching, they're not, it's not founded on the Word of God, right? It's, it's founded on a lot of other things. And so we need to set this boundary that I'm going to believe what the Word of God says in my life. And I'm not going to buy into all of these silly myths or these silly things that I see on, maybe I see on Facebook or I hear people say, well, you know, all paths really lead to God, right? So if you do your thing and I do my thing, ultimately we'll kind of end at the same point. That's not what the Word of God says, right? That's not what it says. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the only way that you can come to the Father. Yeah. Right? And so we have to set these boundaries up about what we believe. Also about in our relationships, who we spend our time with. Right? And this isn't saying that, that as a believer we shouldn't spend time with people who don't follow Christ. In fact, I think Jesus makes a very compelling case that we need to be in the lives of unbelievers. But I think we also have to protect who we're allowing to influence us in our lives. Right? Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companions of fools will suffer harm. That's those, those people who didn't set up boundaries in those relationships and started doing what those unwise people did, and they ended up in the same situation as those unwise people. And so for you and for me, we need to have a healthy balance. Yes, we need to have people in our lives. We need to be pouring in, sharing the gospel. We need to be the light of Jesus Christ in this world. But we also need to realize that the people that we allow to have that ear, that voice in our life, that we trust what they have to say, if, they, if they're not believers, if they don't trust Jesus, like, we, we have to filter that stuff. We can't allow that to be the same place as someone who, whose life is based and founded on the Word of God, right? Because it's going to pull us away. And so we need to set up boundaries. We need to be wise in those friendships that we have. In our conduct, in the way that we live our lives, right? And righteous living calls us to set clear boundaries in our lives. Look at 2 Timothy 2.22. It says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who are called, who call on the Lord from a pure heart, right? We need to flee from these sexual temptations or these things that pull us away from God and pursue after those righteous things, right? And so that so what that looks like practically, guys, it's foolish. If you're a married man, it's foolish to spend time alone with another woman that's not your wife. Like, just the two of you. That's foolishness. That's not a healthy place. It's very easy to end up in a place <laughs> of saying, I, I wish, I don't know how I got here, right? Um, I mean, how many stories have I heard of people that, that lives in, in, in relationships broken because I never thought we were just friends and we just hung out and I never thought it would get there, right? Let's be wise in the boundaries and the things that we pursue. In Romans chapter 13, verse 14, it says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to, to gratify its desires. You know, if, if you know in your life that, you know, there's, you have an addictive personality to, to something. And I'm not going to even say what that is. It could be a lot of different things. I can tell you, for me, that's late night snacking on a Saturday night, right? <laughs> I know that that is not glorifying Christ when I'm staying up late at night and I'm like just diving deep into the snack bowl and, and eating way too much, right? I Like... I need to pursue godliness, and I need to set up some boundaries in my life. For other people, there may be different things that they need to set that up. Maybe it's, maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's this or that or the other. There, there's a lot of things, but we need to set up boundaries so that we can honor Christ in our life. And then finally, the Bible talks about idols. And you may say, well, I don't think we had idols anymore. Right? That was an Old Testament thing. I don't have a little, little God golden statue that I worship or anything, right? This once said this, as humans, we're always looking to replace God with some sort of idols in our life. We're always trying to put something in God's place. That's what an idol is. And as John Calvin said, he says, man's nature, so to speak, is to, to perpetually produce idols. We become idol factories. We're always creating things that we put in the place of God. And some of those can be good things. Can I tell you that our families can be idols sometimes? That's, that's me speaking for my life not putting that on anybody else that's that's me saying that i can put them in the place of god in my life 
right? Ourselves, our thing, our hobbies, our interests. And so we need to set up boundaries in our life so that those idols are not taking the place of God. 2 Corinthians 6, uh, Paul is writing to, to in Corinth, and of course this is a very messed up church, but he says, therefore, go out from their midst, he's talking about in the context of idols, and be separate from them, says the Lord, and do not touch these unclean things, then I will welcome you, and I will be, your, be a father to you, and you shall be the sons and the daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. Right? We need to separate ourselves. And so I think our, our the places this kind of lands for us today is to think about like, Okay, one, repent or confess. What are those things in our life we need to confess? Two is repent, right? Turn, change heart. And then three, set up boundaries. And I think for a lot of us today, we're probably in that place that, you know what? Like, we do pretty good at the confession thing. Repentance, kind of let y'all work that out. But I feel like a lot of times boundaries, we're really poor at doing those, right? We're just like, man, I'm good. I don't need those. Like, I'm smart. I don't need to set those things up in our life. So what I want us to do is, for our community question this morning, this is the time that we, we take a few more minutes and just kind of discuss something in, in depth. What would you say for you are the needed boundaries that need to be set up in your life? Like, what is that, that thing or that area that you need to separate in your life? Um, what is that that you need to put some space and to create some boundaries for in your life? Okay, so we're going to take a few more minutes to discuss that, and then we're going to come back together. Um, we're going to worship God uh, through singing one more time, and we'll kind of close out after that. Um, so let's take a few more minutes and discuss that, and we'll meet back together. Well, guys, hopefully um, hopefully that gave you some time to kind of talk through some of those things in your life. Um, here's how I want us to, to end today. I've asked Tom um, to, to uh, lead us in a song, and this is an old song. Um, for some of us in the room, this song was probably written maybe before we were even born. Um, back in the 90s. Um, yeah, I know it was good stuff back in the 90s. Not me. I was, I was, I was eight. Um, but anyway, um, in, in 1990. But, um, but anyway, it's a song, um, it was, it was written by a guy named Charlie Hall, and, um, it's called Give Us Clean Hands, and he was just reading in, in, in Psalms about, just to cry out for God to, to, to just give us clean hands to worship before him. And it's a real simple song. It's, it's like most great 90s worship songs. It kind of says the same thing over about 100 times. But when it's something that's so important and so foundational and just a cry and an echo to God, like, it's just so true. And so during this time, what I want to just encourage all of us to do is that if, if, if there's confession that needs to happen in our life, right, like we talked about, if there's unconfessed sin in our life, like, don't feel the need to stand up and sing a song just speak to your father, right? Just confess those things in your life if there's those things that, that haven't been confessed. Or, or maybe it's that act of repentance. And so maybe it's like today, you're like, you know what? I realize that there's these things that have been controlling me. And I realize that I need to like put my mark in the sand. And so today I'm going to make that decision of like, you know what? I'm done with this garbage. I'm done with this sin. I'm done with this messiness that's going to lead me away from God. So you make that decision. Or maybe it's just to think about and commit to separating yourself like you guys just did um, to do that. And so I just want to let you know, I'll be, I'll be kind of standing up to her or singing up here with you guys up to the front. If anybody would like to pray with me, there's nothing special about praying with me. I don't have any special prayer powers. Um, but if you want a brother just to pray with you about something, uh, I would, it would be my greatest honor to do that with you this morning. Um, but you can also just pray at your seats. Um, but let's just uh, stand together. We're just going to worship with this last song. Um, give us clean hands and a pure heart.